Okay, Jason, back in 2012, uh, I started a brand new business called Damn Good Hush Puppies Video Productions. I, I launched it with my pal Jonathan Shaver out there in the, in the Carolinas. Georgia. And uh, and we were we were gonna or, or and, sorry Tennessee he's Tennessee. out in Tennessee yeah. and uh, and the whole idea was we were gonna make funny bi- funny b- videos for businesses so that they could you know put them on their websites increase their SEO get their core values out to their to their people and uh, and that business was so successful that we closed it before the end of 2012 so and it wasn't and the funny and it wasn't that it was a bad idea. It was the fact that we were trying, both of us were trying to do it on the side and neither of us really grasped how much time we would have to invest to make it really rock and roll. Well, so well, that was my failed business of 2012. All right. That sounds like a good experiment. So, um, I don't know, many years ago, I started a digital media business. What does that mean? So me and a friend who did motion graphic commercials ordered five huge screens from Taiwan. So we had them shipped in from Taiwan. Uh-huh. And then we had we had stands, like big metal stands that were machine shop. We went to a machine okay. shop and had yeah. them machine these stands where we put these two screens together and we put them in the mall. Okay, and you can walk through the mall and see them, and the stands were very were very nice looking. Um, okay, and we could build ads and upload them from our office to a server in Germany, and it would download to the machines and in the would, malls. It would loop the ad in the malls, and so we huh. would sell ad space on these machines during uh, Christmas. Okay, and it it's, it and went down the toilet. Why did it go down the toilet? What happened? <laughs> People weren't buying ads, which was not <laughs> part of our. <laughs> the Excel sheet I did before we started showed the ad sales going up and up and up. And in in reality, they, they went. No, there's none. So we did, did a bunch of we did a bunch of free ads <laughs> to show how awesome it was, and it was so awesome. Uh, uh, and then the mall gave us you know a break for six months. Then they wanted us to lease the space, which what we had, they wanted money. Uh, for oh, you? you want money? Anyway. Uh. So today, well, so this is episode 38 of the Thrivecast. I'm Jason. Uh, and I'm Greg. Well, welcome this <laughs> August to, uh, to, to, our, to our fun little experiment, for our ongoing experiment, our 38-month experiment that we've been doing with the Thrivecast. Yeah, we wanted to do an experiment and say, would people listen to an accounting podcast? Are right. people listening? I, I, uh, I can't hear you, listeners. Are I'm people listening? listening? <laughs> There's at least two listeners, you and me. Uh, and that's our wives and that's listen. Good. Our wives. That's listen. true. That's true. My wife, she's a realtor, and she thinks that there should be a Thrivecast for the the uh, realtor profession. Well, we'll um, just start that now. I know. Wait. I keep telling her. Hello? I keep telling her she should just redo the podcast we do with her <laughs> and one of her girlfriends and call it the the real cast. That's it. We just did it. But this <laughs> this episode is all about experimentation, right? And that's what we were talking about. That's why we talked about our failed businesses because you can't do experiments without uh you know the well i don't know jason actually that that's a good way to think about this that's one of the questions i had about experimentation if you're gonna be experimenting do you come at an experiment with the idea that you that the experiment could fail um i don't 
I don't know that I think that, but yeah, I, I think I'm getting comfortable with knowing they don't always work out. Yeah. Uh huh. See, because I was because I was thinking about that, and I go, gosh. So, so both both you and I have experimented with starting businesses that were comp- you with digital media. I went Sounds in like debt you had too. A, what's that? I went in debt. See, I didn't. That, that was the nice thing. All no. of my business ideas that I have that I actually pursue, there's like no startup costs. So I was I was out, you know, a little bit of time and a little bit of. I mean. A, not not enough money to even worry about, but there but there's failure with that. You obviously wanted to make tons of money, right. and and you you went into debt. You didn't make your money back. I had just you know, like I said, I I, I lost time. Um, but with but but let's uh, what like what is how is an experiment different than taking a risk? Same thing. It's the same thing. I I, I believe. I believe it's the same. It's the same thing, right? Now, I, I guess an experiment is probably—I don't know. When you think of experiment, you think of the—you know—the lab coats, people in uh, lab coats yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in labs. And I think an experiment is—I don't know. I think an experiment is is, is a controlled environment. Uh-huh. You kind of right. want a controlled environment so that you cannot. So if it does fail, which is okay if it fails, but you can learn from the failure. So you have processes right. set up in place so that you can go, all right, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. What did we do? What didn't work? Why didn't it work? And we're going to document a lot of the learning. It's like an after-action right. review, an AAR, right. uh, yeah. possibly. Now, a risk is something totally different. Uh-huh. A risk could be, hey, let's take a risk and do an experiment. Or let's take uh-huh. a risk and you know do a back ollie off of this picnic table on our skateboard. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's a risk, too. Right. But that would be dumb for me to do. Uh, right. But an experiment for- in business I should do. But, you know, I do have to say this. I think more than ever in, in my firm and in our profession, I think experimentation is the, one of the main things that's going to differentiate firms. It's going to make us better. Uh-huh. It's really going to be the thing that turns our profession to, to become an awesome profession. Which is crazy because nobody. I I've, I'm going to venture to say that nobody in in a traditional CPA firm is sitting around a boardroom table today talking about experimentation. No, no. they. I mean, I think. Do you think? It, I, do you think there are? Well, I think there are companies that do it. Yeah, there I are some. That, there are some innovative companies that do it. Like you know what you know what what, what professions and companies that do it. Uh, ones ones that create labs. Okay, having right. a lab is an indicator. Who has who has labs? I know Thrival Academy. Yeah, app, Thri- you know Thrival has its Thrival. Yeah, Thrival has a lab, and that's why lab. we started it. And Adrian mm-hmm. Simmons is leading it, and we're going to talk to him pretty soon. Yep. Um, Google X, that's their lab. Okay. Uh, Apple has a lab. Uh-huh. You know, um, you know, Boeing. These these old. Companies they used to have right. have lab called Skunk Works, um, right? But but the, but those are like those are those are all engineering firms, whether computer engineering or you'd, you'd expect. I guess I'd expect an engineering firm to have a lab. I wouldn't expect a real estate company to have a lab. Well, uh, have you heard of uh, Tien and Lax? That's an yeah. that's an, yeah. that's an agency. That's an uh-huh. ad agency, a design right. agency in Canada, and they built their own lab. They did, yeah. And okay. Adrian and I talked to the head of the lab, talked to those guys nice. uh, before we started the Thrival Lab. And they they do design work. Uh-huh. And they fund go. this thing on their own. They pump money into it. So a lab, if you think, 
Here's why people don't experiment and don't create a lab. Tell me. It has no revenue at the top line. It has only expense at the bottom line. Okay. The revenue is knowledge earned. That that's what the revenue is. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's not on a PL statement. So people don't want right. it. Which okay, and so that's interesting again, going back to this whole risk thing. If you run an experiment, if it's a thoughtful experiment, it's not something that you just go, hey, let's try this and you wing it. Even if you even if you fail, you gained knowledge. You figured out that don't work. I mean, you, exactly. I think I think you go into every experiment going, "Hey, here's something that I think will be fantastic. What if everyone in our firm grows a mustache? Let's see if that increases customer satisfaction." That's that's exactly okay. right. And when you instead creep out all of your customers, you realize, "Okay, here's some razors, guys. <laughs> We're done." <laughs> but that didn't that didn't do it. That but you're hoping that you're going to find something that's either going to is going to help you increase sales, increase satisfaction, uh, get a better product, find an innovative product, a new innovative product. But if you don't find those things, you still learned something along the way, and you're trying. You're, you're one step. You're one failure closer to having a success. Well, uh, so that's right. So we're going to talk about an article by Dan Ariely in the Harvard Business Review called "Why Businesses Don't Experiment." And listen, uh-huh. listen to what he said about Scott Cook, the founder of Intuit. Uh, Scott Cook told Dan Ariely they try to have an experimental uh, mindset. And here's what Scott Cook tells his team, or used to. I don't know if Scott runs. I don't think he runs any. He, I think he might be the chairman or something. He says, uh. you're doing it right when you experiment because you've created evidence. Uh-huh. Like you said, everybody grow a mustache and see if that makes business better. When everybody gets sicked out, Especially the you know the younger guy with a little feathery mustache. It looks like <laughs> right. those are right. those are pretty rough. With the junior the junior high mustache, <laughs> the junior high mustache and the neck beard. <laughs> you know, when you have when you have evidence, you can now well you can act on evidence. Uh-huh. You've right. produced evidence. Now I wonder why most businesses don't move forward to produce that evidence. Why, why are they not producing that evidence? I wonder. Why is it uh, well, not worthwhile to produce the evidence of what does not work? I, uh, I think it's because of the the concept of uh, satisficing, mm. where you go. What is that? What I, w- satisficing is uh, when you go, "Hey, what we've got now is good enough." Ooh. It's uh, it's it's the. It, it, well, it's, it comes from this. It comes from if you have a problem, there's going to be an optimal. A solution that you can come to. I mean, theoretically, every problem has an optimal solution, right? I guess. You, you satisfy if you go, well, I found a solution. This works. It's not necessarily the optimal solution. Um, and so, so businesses, well, and it even goes back to uh, Tim Williams. I, I, I re-listened to some Secret Stash episodes Ooh. this last month. Tim Williams was talking about uh, Stephen Covey, who he apparently, like his, his somehow... His, his agency used on. to, yeah, his agency used had, to serve them. I thought like his sister was married to somebody who was married to oh, I don't know. his kid or Maybe. something like that. But yeah, they worked together. And so Stephen Covey... Um, went to some company in South America and said and, and and then and bagged out on the engagement saying I can't help you because you're not in enough pain. 
So, so you've got this businesses are kind of in this equilibrium where they say what's going on is working right now. Either there's no pain or there's not enough pain and they don't have the motivation to go out and try to experiment to make things better Ah. because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Okay. So satisficing is really, I'm not in enough pain though. They're not saying that that's the situation, which is not prompting them to go experiment and create new evidences, which is what Scott Cook told Dan Ariely, experiments create evidences. Whether they work or not, we have evidences, and those are good things. Right. Um, what well, you know? So, okay. So the reason why I think our profession doesn't experiment is that they don't have the time or money. Yes, they don't have any money. Like mm-hmm. TN Lax, we mentioned their lab. They mm-hmm. pay a person full time to work in the lab. What? Right. They're paying the salary some dude to experiment. Right. So they don't have the money to do that and they don't have right. the time, right? Everybody's uh-huh. at full capacity. So yeah. they they can't say, "Hey, go over there and play around." Why? Right. Well, I, I can't. I got like four times more work oh. than I could ever get done this week. Yeah. Well, and then and it's funny cuz you're even touching on on the you know, the the drum that we continue to beat about uh about uh, billing your time, right? <laughs> is that if you're if you're in a company where it's like, hey, here's the thing, you've got these billable goals, but instead of doing any billable work, how about you go and experiment for a while? Right. So that that conversation's never going to happen. Right. Right. Yeah. In a traditional firm, that's it's going to be a tough one to to sell. Right. So as we were as Jennifer, our producer, was putting this together, she found this article: Why Businesses Don't Experiment by Dan Ariely, and Dan Ariely is our homeboy. Uh-huh. So, you know, we interviewed him on a podcast a long time ago. Well, he likes me more than you, I think. Yeah, well, he's like pretty much my biggest fan. Right, he's your biggest fan. So he he has some great experiments. Can I just tell you a, a quick thing about oh. that was in the article? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so he said he has a lab at Duke where he's a professor, and a company actually came to him to innovate in the lab. And he right. talks about the story of walking them through innovating and ex- well, walking them through experimenting. Right. Um, and they got scared halfway through the deal. And he started talking them, talking to them about why they're fearful about it. And mm-hmm. what here's what it came down to. They said, it seems like within this experiment, we're going to have to sacrifice some current customers just to help our future customers. Meaning there may right. be current customers we hurt with the experiment. Uh-huh. And Dan Ariely's like, Right. I think that's a great trade-off. <laughs> yeah. That's a good thing. And they didn't go through with it. Actually, the experiment fell apart. They didn't do it. And he talked right. about companies not being willing to undergo possibly right. some current pain for the future good of your company and our profession. Exactly. Well, and that's and Jason, that's the whole thing. Because you go, okay, if it's a good experiment, you have to have a control group and then you have to have your experimental group. Mm. So let's say your company has Let's say your company has 100 clients, and to do your experiment, if, if it's going to be a for real experiment, you're going to have to do the experiment on some, you know, and even if, it, and I guess this is one way to think about it, you're doing your experiment on some existing customers, and you're going to start treating that, I mean, maybe you treat five of your 100 uh, 
customers. You, they're your experiment group. I don't know. Maybe that's not a statistically significant no, subset good. of the. But but you're going. But just for the sake of conversation, you pick this five. You know these five customers. You go. We're going to do something different for these guys than for the rest of them. Yep. What we're doing for these five customers might. We think it's. I mean, obviously nobody's going out going to go. This is going to suck for them, and it's going to be the worst thing ever. Right. Let's see how long it takes till they fire us. <laughs> that's not the. But but at least in your mind, you're think you. That's what you're worried about. I'm going to change thing. It's got to be a significant change to be an experiment. And you're worried. What if I lose those five customers? What if this? I mean, I I hope that this is a better way to serve them. It might be a worse way to serve them. If it's a worse way to serve them, they could be upset. We could have difficult conversations. It could take a lot of time to try to remedy that. And those guys might bail out. They might. They there's a chance they could get pissed at us. And go start telling other people that we suck, and that's the that's the risk that's involved to gain knowledge, right? Right. And Dan Ariely says that is a good trade off. He says, "Yes, do that." We did that, and th- that's that's how you turn a firm from hour- hourly billing to value pricing. You uh, or, or one way is to take a subset of clients, four or five, uh-huh, and start right. moving them f- towards a value pricing model. That's how we did it. Right. Right. And we took like, we did, we took like three or four clients and we said, hey, we're not going to bill you by the hour anymore. We're going to come up with the price now. So here it is. And just to have you pay us this money, we want to draft it. Mm -hmm. And we thought nobody would, we thought nobody in their right mind would let us, let us draft our prices Uh from them. But you know what? Draft meaning do like an automatic draw. An automatic draw. But you know what? A hundred percent of our clients are drafted. Right, and that <laughs> so, was the that was a fantastic experiment. It was in fact. Now we had to explain it a lot, spend a lot uh, of time, right. and even back then when I was doing that years ago, I didn't even know I was experimenting. But that's what we were doing, uh, uh, and it really worked. Now one one thing Ariely said in here was, um, he said, okay, the company that wanted to do an experiment was scared to do it. Ultimately, did not do it, and they uh, said, what do you think to Dan Ariely? He said, well. I can give you my intuition. He said, intuition is a poor thing to rely on. He said, experiments create evidences. So he he compared these two things. He compared experiments to intuition and right. said, experiments are better than intuition. I basically, uh, and I don't know that I totally agree with that. You don't? What do you, th- what do you think? What do you think I, of that comparison? Is that an accurate comparison? I think uh, I don't totally yeah. know. I think that I think that experimentation is way better than intuition. I think intuition is uh, easier than experimentation. I think that's I think that's a lot of it. We can be pretty convinced that what we're thinking is is right and that it's the best, but you don't really know until you get till you get data to back it up. Well, but here's the thing: I've learned it. I don't know intuition. I'm aligning with the word judgment. See, intuition. I'm aligning with. I I think I'm smart enough to figure this out without doing an experiment. Oh, okay, okay. That's now what that's, I'm taking. that's different. I agree because I was thinking when you're deal when you're when you're in a firm that does value pricing, you're often relying on subjective judgments of uh, value, right, from okay. your customers, and sometimes right. you have to go with that, and you have to use uh-huh. your gut. You have to uh-huh. make judgments. Like when you're value pricing, you don't always know. 
if right. the price I got was the right price. And, you know, CPAs do not like that. They want to know okay. with a right. calculation, this right. price was accurate. But <laughs> which, is, which is hilarious because then every, every month when you send out your bill, you, you, cal- you tabulate <clears throat> up all your hours, you put it on a piece of paper, and before you send it out, you, you look and you pray about that piece of paper <laughs> and you go, we, there, there's no way. Your, your, your judgment, your intuition still comes back and goes, right. that's way too much. Or it's like, oh my gosh, this guy is getting a freaking bargain right. because we, you know, so there's, there's still that that's involved. That's right. So anyway, okay. So that that clear that clarifies intuition, and because I was thinking that's the same thing as making a judgment. And I think I think leaders do that, and you do have to make judgments oftentimes. Yeah, I think you do. I mean, and, and that, but that's the thing when you you do have to use your intuition. You do, and you know, gosh, you want to talk about HBR articles? There's isn't that the whole thinking fast, thinking slow kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Is that thinking fast is I. You, you know, I can't even remember who did that book or Blink. I think by our pal Malcolm Gladwell is the same kind of thing where he's trying to show that sometimes when you just make your snap decision, that's the that is the optimal decision or something like that. And we're we're calling BS on him too because what's a best-selling author and researcher going to know? That? Yeah, uh, Malcolm but, Gladwell. You want to bring it on the podcast? Bring it if you're listening. I think he's too scared. Uh, he's definitely listening, but he we won't take us up on that challenge. Well, he won't. He left what? a really good iTunes review. Oh yeah, um, I have was, a, uh, I have a good definition of intuition. Tell, give me that de- def- definition. I had to look it up, and I think Almost you're said right. Def you definition. Yeah, here it is. The okay, intuition is the ability to understand something immediately uh-huh. without the need for conscious reasoning. So that's without the need for experimentation. Basically, we can know the right way to go. And Dan Ariely's like, eh, that's not a very good thing to to rely on. And as you know, a scientist at heart, a behavioral economist scientist, I guess, Dan Ariely wants evidences and wants tests to prove if what we've um, the assertions we're making are accurate or not. So, so that yeah. I agree with that. Judgments, I believe we do have to make. Sometimes we lead from our gut as we lead firms. That's okay. You don't always know the price. Sometimes you have to move forward and try. That's part of experimentation. Intuition is uh, is a dangerous thing, it seems. Uh-huh. What are what are some things that uh, I think when, when you're experimenting? Okay, so here's one of the things. You mentioned on the last podcast that experimentation is a core value of Blummer CPAs, right. right? Right. And how do you how do you just naturally find stuff to experiment? Because I think that because one of the things that my mind's got, gone through with this whole experimentation thing is like, okay, it, it should okay. So it, let's say people go, should I be experimenting? I don't know, and they just listen to our amazing, uh, amazingly persuasive discussion on yes, they, and so now they're hundred percent convinced that gosh, my firm needs to be experimenting with stuff. Then how do you find? Do you in your experiment as someone who's committed to experimenting, do you just naturally find stuff that you need to experiment with? Oh yeah. I, I assume so. Yeah. What, yeah what, what are the kind of things I experimented once at my job? I canceled Christmas in 2012, <laughs> and and I just I just <laughs> that's an experimentation. 
So, sort of. I mean, because we're you know we're we're a medical office building, and in years past we've done tons and tons of Christmas decorations. And one year I was like, we don't really have the money for that. I'm just not going to do anything and wait to see who complains. <laughs> and and there was one one office manager who she you know she's she's sassy and she uh, she busted my balls a little bit about you know about not having Christmas decorations up. But other than that, we didn't hear a thing. And well, so okay, well, it here, here's what it, I'm thinking. We saved some money. Yeah, well, okay, that wasn't, okay, I would call that a safer experiment. It was a very safe experiment. Now, here's, here's where I want to experiment. Here's where I think firms should experiment. In, in service to customers, something directly related to client, it's client-facing. So what we're always okay. doing is, here, and this is a growth hack when I'm coaching people. They're growth like, hack. Yeah, growth like hack. That. I'm going to give you a growth hack. Nice. This is a quick way to grow. All right? Uh-huh. So people go, well, how do I move into selling value-added services? I'm like, make up something you don't know how to deliver. Uh. Make up a coaching or a consulting session. Give it a name Jeez. and sell it. And you don't, know how to, you don't know how to do this. You've never done it. And sell it. And the minute somebody buys it, <laughs> you're – you got to deliver now. <laughs> and what you've just done, what, once you do it once, you, you go, wow, I pulled uh, that off totally. Yeah. And you, because I know you can do it, people can do that kind of thing. So you're, yeah. as Biz Stone says, you're kind of trusting in your future self to be able to figure this stuff out. But yeah. that's a growth hack. It's like, go out there and sell something you've never sold before. Go ahead and sell uh, it. And we sell, it, sell it and then make it. And then, and then make it because you're going to yeah. have to make it. That's what my coach told me to do too. Are you serious? Yeah. So when you do that, that's an experimentation. So I like to, I just did that this week. What'd you do? And I do it in value conversations. I'm talking Wait, to, huh? What'd you sell? Well, it's, so I'm, I'm talking to somebody digital, about- Digital media? <laughs> no, no, we closed that business uh, many years ago. The debt was paid re- off a few years later, but- You didn't do a reboot? <laughs> I didn't reboot the digital media company. Uh, I'm smarter and wiser and older now. No, but basically, we were talking during a value conversation. That's a place you can really do do a quick uh, pose some new idea you've never sold before. And uh-huh. in talking to somebody about coaching them, I thought, hey, maybe maybe we could do this. This would be a session that I think would really help you. Let's uh-huh. do this. And they went, yeah, I think that would really help us. And I'm like, all right, cool. So now why we got you given. Why aren't you giving details? What was it, Blummer? <laughs> well, it normally there's coaching, but we were going to sell uh, the dissection of a business up front, and we've we've sold this before. People didn't buy it. You mean you mean like a, a pr, like instead of a, a post mortem instead of a what are they? What it's are a pre mortem. Pre mortem. Yeah, it's a, it's the the autopsy. It's a it's a it's an right. autopsy in advance. Right. Is that yeah. What you're talking about? Yeah. It's like hey, nice. Hey, the things I'm hearing. It sounds like there's deeper issues actually that touch on many different departments or areas of your thinking or your firm. Let's uh-huh. just kind of come together for a few hours and let's just ransack the company and let's just rip it apart. Yeah. Let's bucket it. Put it in buckets. Let's uh-huh. spell it all out. Let's find out where, let's probe in each area, and then let's uh-huh. prioritize all the things we're working out. Okay, And they're gotcha. like, yes, that dissection in total gotcha. would be very helpful. Right. And so and you, I but said, you've never done that before? No. no okay. We, we've, we've sold it to other people and put a big, big price tag on it because it, be, uh-huh. it could be huge amounts sure. of knowledge, but they didn't buy yeah. it. Okay. Uh, well, that's okay. 
Right. Um, but these guys said, yes, I think that. So anyway, we've never okay, done so, it. So well, now I have, to, I have to construct a dissection session for this firm. And it'll go fine, and it'll really be valuable, I think. But did you? But th- then did you just, is that whole thing, sell it and then build it, those kind of experiments, you're, we, you said at the beginning that experimentation, what, that, there's, that there can be no, sometimes there's no differentiation between experimenting and taking a risk. If you've already gotten paid for doing this experiment, right. what's your risk? Right. Other than it ends up sucking. Exactly. And, that's, well, that's the risk. Okay, but see, so? I'm I'm more interested. I want to see. I want to test and see if somebody's going to sell it before I even build it. The worst. You mean here, test see if somebody's going to buy it? Yeah, that's what I meant. Right. What well, th- this experiment is not good. Build it and then go try to sell it. Heck with right. that. Right. That's what okay. a lot of technology companies do. Go out I'm of business, on, building a I'm cool product, and say, "Hey, world, look what we built. You want to buy it? Well, no. Oh crap. But right. I like to right. go. Right. <laughs> hey, client." Uh, I, we like to do these dissection, co- you know, business yeah. and give it a cool name. And they're like, I'll buy that. And you go, cool. Well, now you yeah. got to go build the thing. But what you did is you tested the marketplace desire for your service. Right. So the growth hack is sell something you've never sold before or right. or, or done that's, before. That's good. That's a, that's a growth hack. That's an experiment hack. And I'd like to say there's a couple ways that you can set up experiments and that, that you should be selective I think in terms of the types of experiments they're going to do, um, wouldn't yeah. you say? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think you can do some dumb things, and that doesn't make any yeah. sense. So I think I think the the optimal types of experiments are the ones you just said. Get paid up front. Yes. Have somebody who's excited enough about what you just offered that they're willing to pay you to do that, even though you've never done it before. Yes. Your experiment is: Can I do it? Is it worth it to me to do it? Which, again, going back to my whole video production thing that I did, I just finally was like, it's not, we closed because I was like, it's not worth it the amount of time that I've got to dump into this business. Right. So I was good to, but, and the nice thing is we did get paid a little bit. We had one customer. Anyways, the other type of experiment that I think is very valuable is the type of experiment where you go, if this, here's, if, if, if this experiment succeeds, I get, I get something out of it. If this experiment fails, I get something out of it. Oh. And I think if you can set up your risks in that sense where you're like going, you know, cause, cause we even said last time about story, if your experiment, if it, if it succeeds, then all of a sudden you've got this great new thing that you can add to your business. But if it fails, well, what that just gave me is it gave me a story that reinforces the core values of my business. Right. You just won. It doesn't matter if right. succeed or fail. You got something incredibly valuable either way. Yeah. I think, so I think what you're saying is, all right, so there could be two different experiments. One is sell something you don't know how to sell. It makes money, and you make money doing something new. Mm-hmm. The other one is, hey, you get, as Scott Cook calls it, evidences, which are mm-hmm. uh, things that don't work, but also cool stories that back up yeah. some of the core values of your company that prove right. you are who you say you yeah. are. They're- Where you go, you go, okay, this is a core value to the point that even if we lose money at it, that's okay because I believe strongly in this core value. It's a core value. Right. Come on. Yeah. What's so, a core value if it's not something you're, that's you're, right. you're willing to lose stuff about? That's right. So one more thing in this Dan Ariely article before we, we get Adrian Simmons. I have, a, I have a core value of eating vegan, but man, I love <laughs> me a steak. <laughs> so so that core value is not a real, a real deal. Safeway. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Go. So I keep interrupting you. So, so here's what he's saying. Um, huh? He's like, 
in this article, he makes some conclusions. He says people or businesses don't like to experiment because they're a lot more comfortable with answers than questions. Right. And here's a quote. He says, we tend to value answers over questions because answers allow us to take action while mm-hmm. questions mean that we need to keep thinking. And so he's saying, he's saying people think taking action is the thing that's, that they want to be the result of their actions. They, they want something that's actionable. And he says questions allow us to think about things that make us think further. <laughs> he, that's, this is hard to put together, but he's saying we want to do stuff that make us continue to think, not only stop us and say, all right, now go do the action. Now, ultimately, you have to go do an action, right? You have to execute an experiment. But yes. he's saying that we, I think we stop too soon uh, with answers. Yeah. Consultants often do that when they give you their intuition. They'll give you an answer, and then you go act on the answer. When really, the, what if a consultant came and said, I can promise you one thing in, my, in working with me, I'm going to help you come up with the right questions. Yeah. That, I, I, that would be valuable, and that sounds kind of cool, but I don't know if people would buy that. Yeah, we'll see that, and that's the thing, because my mind with that whole side of things comes back to the old uh, efficiency versus effectiveness right, yeah. kind of thing, is that people, they everybody hates the feeling of spinning their wheels. Yeah. And I think that that if it, and and you can go, gosh, I got a lot done today, even if it wasn't the the best stuff you could have possibly done. Instead right. of sitting around thinking really hard, it taking plenty of time to aim that gun before you pull the trigger. Uh, you know, the, the aiming being the experimentation. Right. Um. So you know, that's I think that's just a human issue that we've got to try to get over. You got to deny that part of your your humanity right. that you just want to get stuff done and instead stop think about it ponder it make sure you're getting a good a good uh, basis upon which your actions can be uh f- foundationed right foundationed. <laughs> so all right so we have you have any other thoughts we got to get adrian on the call that, i have zero thoughts my thoughts are out there they're gone they're gone yeah let's get let's get adrian simmons oh hey Oh, uh, and we want to thank our sponsor. Yeah, let's not get Adrian Simmons. I know. I know. We got Hello, Avalara. I know. Those guys rock so bad. They rock so hard. The king of the king of sales tax compliance. No, Avalara's been with our podcast forever. Forever. These and, guys And I, mean, I know those guys. The company is hugely experimental and oh, innovative. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because I mean that's that's exactly it. Cause these guys, they're kind of the they're the one name in Sales tax compliance, the only one I know of. Do you know of any other? <laughs> answer's no. <laughs> answer's no. But the cool thing is, I, I, I think it's true that a lot of CPAs don't know to use Avalara. Even if you have one client doing one boring sales tax return, mm-hmm. it, you can be that small and mm-hmm. use Avalara. And the cool thing nice. is, not only do they file all the returns for you and pay it, because so they're linked in with the government, you know, the state mm-hmm. government, oh, which is but so they handy. also feed you the from their big huge database they feed you the taxability of your products correctly Which, you know because yeah. some products yeah. are not necessarily taxable they may be taxable here in my state but not right. in that other state it's right. feeding the taxability of the product and the rates right it's so those two things are their key 
deal with their big, huge database. But then they go soda, file it all and pay it. Soda Please. is a food in some states, and it's right. not considered a food right. in other. And some states tax food, and some states right. don't. That's how the ta- do you know? Right. How do you know what uh, West Virginia is doing? You don't. don't. You don't. Avalara does, and you don't. That's right. Okay, we got to get Big A. I call him Big A on the call. Big A. Welcome back to the Thrivecast. Um, we we want to prove that as a profession and Thrival is committed to experimentation, uh, we want to welcome the director of the Thrival Lab, Adrian Simmons. What's up, A? Hey, uh, Jason Gray. How y'all doing? <laughs> okay, so Adrian, we've been talking about experimentation with a cool article from Dan Ariely, but you are the head of, I think, Adrian, you and I spent a lot of time figuring this out. I think the first experimental lab for the accounting profession. Do you know if this is true or not? Yeah, to our knowledge, that uh, that's still true. Obviously, if there is folks out there who are hearing this who know of something, um, we'd love to hear about it because um, it's sort of hard building it from scratch. Yeah, really. <laughs> but, uh, but to our knowledge, yeah, it, it's uh, the first we're aware of. Okay, well, we got to know what what the heck is a lab? <laughs> and yeah. why in the world did we do this? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> two really big questions. What the heck is a lab and why did we do this? <laughs> yeah, <really. laughs> um, well, the, I think in the process of, of you know looking at the lab, and we did take a number of months, um, almost a year, I'd say, as we were looking into this. And one of the things we came to realize was that there's, there's a spectrum of what it means to be a lab. Mm. Um, and there's everything from being really uh, academic and just sort of very future looking. And then they're on one end of the spectrum. And on the other end of the spectrum is just being very present day and being very practical. And we decided to sort of peg the Thrival Lab sort of somewhere in between. Um, you know, our mission was to, is to lower the barriers to innovation by encouraging strategic risk taking. And so what we wanted to be able to do was to accelerate the adoption of today's innovations in the profession as well as contribute to the imaginings of tomorrow. So we do want to straddle both the present and the future with the lab uh, that we've created for Thrival and that we're working on. So that's the sort of the what, the very simple what, um, the simple why. Can I get that again? So accelerate the adoption of what's already out there. What was the other part? The, uh, and contribute to the imagining of tomorrow's. Contribute. That, that, that sounds like something that they'd have like outside of a Disney ride. Yes. Contributing <laughs> to the imaginations of tomorrow, today. Yeah. Heck yeah. Accounting Imagineering. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I love Which it. I do too. Yeah, so okay, so that's the what. Now you're going to give us the why, right? Which is, which is big. Yeah, yeah. The why is big too, um, and that's also a hard question to answer. Um, it, it was interesting because just it, you know being a member of Thrival and just being active of this awesome group um, and the creativity that's just sort of in all our members. Uh, last year, I'd even started a sort of a lab internally to my own firm. Nice. And it was just sort of a way that we could start to develop new things, uh, be they products, processes, um, just even related to team members and whatnot, and sort of had started doing that. And then, Jason, you gave me a call partway through the year, and you're like, hey, Adrian, you know, we're thinking about doing this, and I think you know, I'd like you to be a part of the lab. And I'm like, oh, that's really funny. I've sort of been working on a lab of sorts. <laughs> You've been thinking through it already. Yeah, so we were on, definitely on the same wavelength. 
Um, but sort of the, the why behind it is uh, uh, there's a couple different reasons or a number of different reasons. Um, I guess maybe the broadest one is that, um, you know, creativity is just sort of the way we show, I think, our commitment, our responsibility for the future. And as a profession, I think we need to take charge of our own future, just like we do in our personal lives, right? Like we need to sort of take, take ownership of our future. And I see the lab as one of the way we as a profession are taking ownership of our profession future and that we're thinking forward, we're creating new things uh, as opposed to just following whatever the winds take us. So we're, we're being responsible citizens within the profession. Yeah. I think creativity is part of exercising that responsibility for the future. Do, do you think we don't? I mean, is the profession, where does it stand now? I mean, is a lab needed? I, I think it is, but what do you think? Yeah, well, I think it is too. <laughs> Yay, I've got Well, see, actually, I'm going to say, I'm going to say it, it's, it is, but it's not because, Adrian, oh, I think on. you just nailed on something. I think that our profession is generally a reactive profession. Right. Where stuff there's changes, there's regulatory changes. How do we how do we deal with that? Exactly. That's, yep. And and that was the point I was. I, was um, I think I agree with as well is that we we're used to being handed information and just being implementers uh-huh. uh, in some degree. So, for instance, tax law changes. This comes through Congress. We figure that out and implement it. Or you know, the FASB is going to issue. Um, different statements, and we're going to take that and apply that. Or auditing standards are going to come from the AICPA. Yeah. So, in many right. ways, like we're used to receiving the information, and we're the appliers of it. Um, yeah. But I think you know, especially in the in the in the small business world, and there's so much more to accounting than just that side of it as well. Um, exactly. So we can say, hey, let's let's actually think about you know what the end goal is, and let's think through ways that we can get better at that. And mm-hmm. um, and I, and I think that's you know that's what the lab's about. It's sort of saying, let's stop for a second and of just being receivers and saying, you know, what's our end goal and what helps us get closer there. So that's part of uh, what the lab is intended to do as well. Is like it, it, part of it is like coming to know who you are and what you stand for, uh-huh. and saying, okay, what does that then impel me to do, um, as opposed to just letting that. somebody so, else define it. Yeah. So it's really moving away from going, hey, I. I can't experiment. The FASBs are coming, and I, I have to do it. Or the IRS is about to implement some kind of new P10 number. It, it's it's mm-hmm. it's stopping the behavior of going, I, I, I can't shrug in your shoulder, say, I have nothing I can do here. It, mm-hmm. you're, you're saying step up and be responsible for the future that we're actually responsible for. And let's stop letting the profession become what it's becoming. Let's make it be what we know it can be. Ooh. Right. And maybe a way I would put that is we need to expand our field of vision. Um, okay, what does that mean? Yeah, what, what that means is like obviously we can't change the tax law and we're not really looking to say, hey, let's come up with an, you know, a new way to present revenue on a gap-based right. <laughs> or something like that. Um, we can't do that. But, but we can expand our field of vision to say what we do encompasses more than that and not be just limited to what's sort of staring us in the face and say let's expand nice. the field gotcha. of vision. And and there's parts where we can be creative, um, 
let's let's innovate things in that that arena. Gotcha. Because yeah, okay, I, I hear what you're saying. Because there's well, and, that, and does that even come back to the accelerate adoption and the to the versus the imaginations of tomorrow? I would I would think that a lot of the ad, adoption of of existing innovations is going to help me as I do my compliance stuff. But when I'm really trying to figure out what how to best serve clients with our with our specialty of accounting, that's where we're talking about imaginations of tomorrow. In part, I mean, some nope. existing innovations. You're wrong, Greg. <laughs> you Please. just tell me I'm no. wrong. You're, you're wrong. You can give me an F on podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you get a big fat F. Adrian, please correct what he said. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> no, the existing is more, let's say, some things that are out there now, um, like value pricing. Not something that exists. It's in the profession. Right. But it's not so widely adopted. But right. we want to help that innovation catch fire and to get to the tipping point and things like that. Okay. Um, you know, cloud accounting, perhaps, you know, you might say is still on the tip of the iceberg, not quite to tipping point yet. So um, different things like that that may be there, and we just sort of want to help push those things forward. Uh, right. and so that's more of the existing innovation. And then imagining tomorrow is just actually just to sort of ask the blue sky question, okay, what else is there that we haven't right. thought of? You know, Adrian, through this, you're, as, as, as we tell people to experiment, and they say, hey, I can't, you know, I got to do a FASB and an IRS. There's nothing outside of you know, accounting, tax, payroll, and audit. And you're like, expand the vision of what we mean by that. Are you are you saying you're, re, does, you're redefining what a CPA or what a CPA firm is or is going to be? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, oh, nice. That's a yeah. big job, by the way, Adrian. Good luck with that. That's <laughs> 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 There's at least two other people out there. No, I'm just kidding. There no, there's, there's a whole profession out there. Well, and this is one of the things sometimes I talk about. Like the value propositions that our profession has been built upon are decaying value propositions. Oh, so my word. Naturally, the way the business world. Wait, so. explain, explain that. What do you mean? What, what are the value propositions and why do they suck? <laughs> well, he didn't say that. <laughs> I just say they're decaying. So you think about actually, this is really interesting. Uh, I was thinking about this recently, um, where a, a person I know was traveling abroad, and they're in a situation where actually they were in Italy, and they, you know, you have to pay to use the bathroom over there. Mm. Um, because for the the value is locked up there, right? But you actually had to used to do that in the U.S. as well. Uh, actually, I remember when I brought this with my folks. I was like, "Yeah, I remember when we used to go to Sears, and you'd have to, you know, pay to use the bathroom and everything like that." Wow. But that so that's a there is a value proposition right there, uh, and we'll just maybe leave it at that. But um, <laughs> but over time, that value proposition decays. If you, if you push forward into new higher levels of value, the value proposition of that thing decays, and now that's free in America. Because okay. you're creating additional value in other areas. So, you know, historically, you know, for okay. CPAs, uh, let's say over the last, I'll say, 30, 40 years, you know, preparing a tax return, issuing a financial, like a compiled financial statement, yeah. you know, something like that, that's the value proposition we've had. Well, that is sort of decaying as it's sort of subsumed into other technological processes. So we have to push out ahead. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. propositions. So. Long That's a good. I love. I love when when our guests are able to use toilets to help me understand what they're talking about. That's <laughs> break it down. You know, bring it to my level. This, this oh. is Adrian. This is okay. I think you know. This is a big goal you have, and I don't. Do you, golly, it, when can this be achieved? Is it ever achieved? Is this an ongoing goal that's always has a foundation of experiments that must continue on? I mean. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think? What's going to be the future? 
Well, okay. Not a good question. <laughs> tell <laughs> tell us the future, Adrian. <laughs> Come on. Well, I think we are at a critical juncture over the next, I'll say, 10 to 20 years where we are going to be redefining what it means to be a CPA. Um, and I think it's something that, you know, we'll need to do as a profession. I mean, and we're not the only industry this is happening to, right? Right, right. I know just the other day I was, you know, reading USA Today and um, Gannett, the company that owns them, you know, they're splitting out the digital, mm-hmm. they're spinning off the digital company from the print company. And so a lot of industries are just going through this right now. Um, so I think we are too. And um, what it's going to be in the future, uh, you know, I, I've got some ideas on that, but, you know, I think we're going to have to figure it out together as well. It, it's an organic process and it needs to be part and parcel of our DNA. And that's part of what the lab is about saying too. We need to see ourselves as creative that's the creative people we are. We need to see ourselves as innovators, and we need to start proposing things and seeing what works. And that just needs to be part and parcel of how we live and breathe, as opposed to, oh, it's 30 years, let's come up with something new. Mm. We, it does need to be part of our cycle. Okay, so, so, so let's dive into a firm, and let's try to figure out why, Adrian, if you go out there and you do speaking and stuff and talking about the lab, and you say, hey, we need to become experimenters, why why are firms hesitant to do that? A firm, just let's say a single individual firm, if you're talking to the owner, why would they be hesitant to do the things you're saying? Because you're explaining it well, and I'm like, bring this on. I'm ready to do this. Yeah. But people are not excited, and I wonder why. Hmm. Well, I think part of it sort of goes to what we, we hinted at before in terms of the way we're trained as accountants and the way we've sort of been brought up to, you know, follow the, follow the path, follow the process, follow the procedure. Um, but the way I propose thinking about it is sort of in two different, two different brains or two different hats that you put on to say, okay, you've, you've got your hat that you don't want to be getting creative with a te- too creative with a tax return. Right. <laughs> well, I wonder what happens if I don't report W two wages. <laughs> Let's see if they catch it. <laughs> Let's have a control group. I'll be That's the right. control group. <laughs> My client will be the experimental group, and exactly. let's see who goes to jail. I definitely like putting it that order too. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so there's that part of what we do that we we don't want to experiment with, but. I think we end up sort of throwing that blanket over everything, and I think we need to be able to say, okay, what, where can I? And let me put on my other hat. Let me put my entrepreneurial hat. Let me mm-hmm. put on my, my sort of innovator hat. And, nice. um, so, and so I think as accountants, we need to be able to sort of bifurcate that way of thinking to say we're not proposing that you go out and you lie with your financial numbers. Right. Um, but we are saying is you know value can't, it's found in, in much more – uh, areas than just the compliance area, and let's go on the value quest. Let's find where that value is. Let's start creating those things that enhance our customers' lives, as opposed to just keep them out of jail. And as our value proposition changes, I don't know if you would say this is true, but as we we move into becoming a a, a profession that experiments as a foundation mm-hmm. to what we do, some of that older model may fall away. The, mm-hmm. the more technical compliance driven because technology may supply that need and mm-hmm. we'll we'll be left with an empty bag if we don't continue to enhance this other side this creative consultant value add side is that right yeah i think part of um part of this we see in like when you look at an apple product i hate to always bring them up but, um, <laughs> they're a great, great example 
They are, but I'm gonna I'm gonna throw one next to it too. But the um, it says you know designed by Apple, you know manufactured in China, um, and now even like Amazon just came out with their phone whatever mm-hmm. uh, Fire, recently Kindle yeah. phone yeah the Kindle Fire phone or something yeah. like that. Um, but it says designed by Amazon, and I really think that that's where the value is going to come from because that's where the higher level of thinking comes in is that design side of things, mm-hmm. and I feel like. The technological tools are all there. Like it's almost like you have all the the pieces of the puzzle or the or the pieces of the machinery sitting out on the table in front of you. Um, the value isn't being able to turn the crank. The value is how do you put the pieces together? How do you synthesize them in the way that makes sense for that customer that you're with? So part of that comes from understanding your customer um, and really being able to connect to them on a personal level. And part of that is understanding the the pieces, the mechanics. And then synthesizing the two so that you are able to create something, you're able to design something. Say, here's a system, you know, and here's a way of thinking, uh, and here's the mechanics um, that is made for this person um, and helps them. So I feel like that synthesis, that design, that that approach is going to be a big part of what it's going to mean to be a CPA, or at least I hope. Okay, so I've got I've got a couple questions, Adrian. So first off, you said that Thrival uh, Labs is mm-hmm. the first ever lab in the accounting profession, but you said that you had started a lab in your own business before that. <laughs> so really, it's the second. I mean, I, right? It's the yeah. second. So you you got to call it what it is. Boom! <laughs> Here's I love what. It. Here's well, what I, I can't I, imagine yeah. I'm the only one that's ever did that. I think some of the big guys have it too. But if I'm yeah. honest, but it's for the for the profession <laughs> instead of for a specific firm. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. What to, here's what I need to know is I need to know specifics. When you were working in your lab at your firm and now with Thrival Labs, what sort of things are do you are you thinking about did you experiment on have you are you experimenting on and are you thinking about experimenting on? That's some stuff I need to know. As far as the Thrival Lab or the it, in, I, or I, all of it. All the, of the, the Adrian Adrian Grant Simmons Labs and Thrival Labs, what are you working on? So we need Tell examples, me, right? T- take me into your t- – I just put on a white lab coat and some goggles. Yeah. You need to show me what you're working on. Take you on a tour here. <laughs> unless it's unless it's top secret. <laughs> some of it's under wraps, but we'll take are you a ser- tour for serious? the front room. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, some of it you just – you can't talk about it? Um, well, I mean, just uh, – there's stuff in the pipeline that, you know, we'll release as the time is right, but – okay. Uh, uh, let's take at least to the front room, <laughs> please. <laughs> yeah, so right now in the in the front room of the of the Thrival Labs are our two main focuses uh, for this okay. year. The one experiment which we have just launched, I'm super super excited. The experimental team has just been formed, and we're uh, that experiment is business model prototyping. Okay, and we're using the approach um, in the business model generation book, and by Alex Osterwalder and based on some of his PhD research, but it's a way of looking at business models and sort of sketching them out visually. And what we want to do is say, let's create a sketch of the traditional accounting model, and now let's prototype um, different versions of what is possible today and what might be possible tomorrow. We want to start giving people ideas of where they can start innovating as far as their model itself. Nice. So we have a team of about seven folks that we're going to be uh, getting together and doing that, you know, imagineering with um, and the ideation with. And then we're going to release that in a report uh, this fall uh, for the profession and to the profession. 
Excellent. Yeah. Which, which thankfully, Zero kind of came along and wanted to be, you know, this initial strategic partner to kind of support yep. some of that, right, Adrian? Right. Exactly. Yeah, we've been very fortunate that at the beginning, there's been folks who have sort of have seen the vision and, and have wanted to share in it. And Zero being one of our big uh, backers, and we you know have Mondo thanks out to them for their belief Ma- in Mondo. Mondo thanks Zero. <laughs> Mondo thanks. And the other, I should mention to our other uh, three lab partners we have right now um, is Jay Kimmel- Kimmelman at the Digital CPA, uh, Barrett okay. Young at uh, the Abacus, the Green Abacus, and of course Jason Ab- Abacus. At- Abacus, yeah, uh, that's okay. <laughs> and Jason, that's, that I think they, I think they pronounce it Abacus in in uh, Maryland. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's a southern linguistic <laughs> thing, maybe. I don't know, but um, but I, I do want to emphasize right there while we have that opportunity, like how critical it is to have lab partners. Like this yeah, lab yeah. cannot work yeah. long term without people pulling alongside us and joining in. Right. So but, I really want to encourage folks that they believe it to go to our website thrival.com slash lab and become a lab partner. We need you. Yeah. But is this is the lab is the Thrival Lab, is it a way for people to reduce the risk of experimentation themselves? Yes. Yep. And part of it is by pulling together, it's it's not just me or not just, you know, Jason or other firm owners just trying something completely on their own. You know, we'll get five to ten of us together. And we can implement something at the same time. We can sort of share experiences. We can benefit from each other's insights. We can make adaptations based on how that goes. Um, and so you can actually push through an innovation wall you know, with people alongside mm-hmm. you. And then we also release that to the profession at large so they can benefit. Um, okay. And the other thing that's critical that I'm also very excited about is that this also is intended to initiate an experiment chain. So... It, right. The experiment doesn't stop with the labs. It's taken up by other folks that come along and say, hey, I want to do that too. And they can even contribute their results back into the lab's database to okay. just sort of continue to um, flow back in and keep this chain going. It's like storing a chain reaction. So, um, Awesome. You, you know, uh, so Adrian, when you were mentioning, um, as some examples, you mentioned Apple and Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, designed by Amazon, designed by Apple. And of course, those two companies have labs. Mm-hmm. They have labs. Now here, this is one thing that's interesting. Um, you know, Google has a lab, Apple, Amazon have has a lab. Some of the bigger product companies like Procter & Gamble, probably Boeing and these kind of places have labs. But they're all typically very secretive because mm-hmm. they're very technology product driven. But we're a little different in that the lab was intended to be kind of the gift, a gift to the profession to say, right. hey, w- this knowledge is given to you. Now, lab partners and strategic partners like Zero really help fund, you know, the lab going. But we want to give the knowledge away. Is that right? Yeah. I, I feel like this is a trend I'm seeing just in our current sort of market or- is that there was a lot of value, obviously, in the past on intellectual property and sort of really protecting that. Again, Apple, you know, just running right after their patents. Yep. Um, but mm-hmm. it really struck me when, you know, um, Elon Musk and mm-hmm. oh yeah, and Tesla, Tesla yeah. he recently said, hey, we're going to make our patents uh, available Amazing. to whoever wants to. Because he recognized that, that for the electric car industry to take off, it needed to have some momentum. So I... I I'm getting the sense uh, just broadly in the market that there is this innovation and this collaboration in a more open environment um, is really going to help pick up the pace. And so, yeah, we, we, the idea is that we're not 
going to be secretive and try to keep everything under wraps. The idea is that we can, you know, share this broadly because our profession needs it, in my opinion, really, really needs it. Um, if we're going to be able to make this next jump. And so we need to do it together and we need to share and just go, all get in there and make it happen. Do you have some other ideas of some other experiments? Like we're going to do, bit, and I'm going to, I'm part of the, I'm one of the experimental firms. So yep. is that, is that what they're called? I'm an experimental firm, right? Yeah. Yep. That's the, the name we're, we've come up with so far. So, so, <laughs> so I'm going to, are you going to, are you going to change your business model then? Is that if part of the business model prototyping? Does that mean you, are you asking me? Yes. I don't know. I'm going to do what Adrian tells me to do. <laughs> nice. All right, Adrian. I have no clue. We, we got it on tape, dude. Yeah. Well, our, our goal is to prototype. Um, the pantsless <laughs> firm. <laughs> like, That's good. That's where we need to interface. <laughs> Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start. I've been doing the pantsless podcast this whole time <laughs> as an experiment. So I feel like it's enhanced, the podcast. It I has. Think, I think it's been a good podcast. Yes. <laughs> so what are some other so we're doing business model type right. uh, experiment maybe what are some other ideas just all just like crazy ones i don't know sure, sure. yeah well let me throw uh, the other thing just to answer J greg's question as well um while the firms we're going to prototype an idea in this model but the idea is that it may become the foundation for somebody who launches a firm and they may take one of the prototypes that we've fleshed out and it becomes the basis that they build their firm on Right. Or somebody may take their firm's model and say, okay, yeah, I want to adapt to be like one of these ones that got prototypes. Right. Gotcha. So there is that. Not to hit another tangent. Sorry, Adrian. I got a lot of questions. <laughs> this, but, is a lot of good, this is a good material. Yeah. Isn't, there one, isn't there only one business model for a firm, though? I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, that's actually the hypothesis for this experiment is that there is not one singular model. Uh, so how many are there? <laughs> there there's at least two. No. <laughs> <laughs> you are so crazy in your experiments. I know, right? Wow. The, it's really branching out. That just seemed very academic. There's not one business model. So how many are there? Two or more. <laughs> Adrian, take your lab coat off, dude. Right. So, okay, yeah. So how many are there? And obviously the answer to that is not a number. It's probably something else. Well, actually, my sort of drilling into that question, my theory is that there is an unlimited number that each firm actually reflects that person. This is my feeling, that the firms of the future really become reflections of their owners. Um, it's almost like an artist, like let's say a musical artist, where every person's song is a different song or a different style of music mm -hmm. that's unique to them. I feel like every firm should have a unique imprint and fingerprint as well. Um, so I think the answer to the question, there are as many firms as there are firm owners. Um, and it's kind of like if Dolly Parton remakes a Whitney Houston song, mm -hmm. she's going to make it her own. Her what, own. What, yep. Greg. That yeah? Was, that was a great joke. You didn't even comment on that. Dolly Parton, I know. Boobs. <laughs> I know. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so, okay, so you're saying – you're saying there could be multiple business uh, business models. So, what if somebody's listening and they go, "Dude, that is so cool for you to say that," but in reality, I've been in a bunch of firms, and there really is one. You know, mm -hmm. the hierarchical time and billing type model. And what would you say to somebody that goes, "I just, I don't know if I believe you, man. I don't, I don't mm -hmm. think another one could exist." Well, I mean, perhaps is the point to the people who are doing it differently. Um, and to say, okay, yeah, here, here are firms out there right now that, and this is already happening. Here's the accelerating, you know, the adoption of today is there are, the truth is there are already firms that have different models, you know, be it virtual, um, be it niche specific, you know, be it 
uh, software specific, you know, it, there's more to just the bookkeeping, preparing a tax return and, and doing payroll. So um, it already exists. So and that's perhaps the strongest convincer. Okay, Adrian, so if you're saying there are going to be multiple business models, that is, there could be as many business models in, in firms as there are owners, what will that do to succession planning? Because typically right now, if you want to get out of the profession, you sell your firm. How are you going to sell a firm that's so intimate to you? Mm. you know, what does that do to succession planning? What does it do to retirement and these discussions about retirement for firm owners? Well, that's a great question. Um, I think... There's twofold, right? So the firm itself is sort of built on on a value proposition to the market. So not only the person, but the you know it has to be responsive to the market, and that's sort of a mutual agreement between the market and the and the the firm owner. So while it's unique to the firm owner, that value proposition isn't sort of just own. They aren't the value proposition. This is actually another thing I think is important to change because in the past. A lot of times the name of the person has been the firm or, you know, it has been built around that person. And I think there's a combination where we say, hey, um, there's a common belief that's held by the team um, that was possibly founded by a particular person. But that common belief can transcend that person. And so it can go on even though that person may not, you know, they might be looking to retire or something like that. So there's purpose. The purpose has to be greater than the person. And well, so, yeah, yeah. isn't that the whole idea of like finding your why is that your why is supposed to resonate with other people. That's how you get your best customers. So if you if you've built your firm and you have a very strong, uh, you know, purpose, a very strong why behind your firm, then mm-hmm. it actually I mean, theoretically, unless uh, unless Simon Sinek is full of crap, that should actually <laughs> help you right. uh, find your find find the person that should buy your firm rather than just somebody who's wanting to add revenue to their top line. Exactly. I think it actually strengthens the succession planning because now you're matching with people, like you say, who don't just want the revenue but actually believe what you believe as well. And that's what happened over time, hopefully over the life of the firm. The customers and the team members, et cetera, they've accumulated or congregated around this purpose. um, And and so that purpose can continue to go on even if the originators leave. So in the future, if this business model generation experimentation catches on, it's Mm going to be harder and harder for me to say, hey, I want to grow my firm. I'm going to go buy a firm. Yeah. Because because possibly they don't believe what I believe. Their customers have been sold a value proposition that doesn't really align with what I want to sell. Is that that going to happen? Yeah, actually, I believe this already happens where you hear, you know, just anecdotally, in my experience at least, where, oh, yes, we bought that firm, and then, you know, two years later, we lost half of them or something like that. Yeah, like, okay. We already know this. Yeah, um, right. We just haven't changed the way we approach things. I see. <laughs> the purchase process hasn't actually adapted to reflect the reality of, yeah, you can't just buy a firm and expect them to stay with you. Um, so, yeah. So, but, but the current, right now, we're in a big mergers and acquisitions world. Mm-hmm. I, I think, and I think that's going to increase probably over the next five to ten years. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about the future? Like right now, that's 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 what succession planning is, right? It's I need to get out of this thing. Mm-hmm. The way to do it is to sell it. Is that that's not going to be the future? You don't think? Uh, well, 
I don't know exactly what the future is going to be. <laughs> Come on, Adrian. <laughs> I, I do You're the know. lab director. You're supposed <laughs> to know the future. <laughs> I do know that sometimes when folks say, hey, I, you know, all the older accountants are retiring and the new you know, people are stepping up, I, I do know that. I say, let some of those firms dissolve. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to bring people in through the onboarding process I've created and vet them uh, as opposed to just acquiring somebody that may or may not be a good fit for us anyway. Um, and we can't treat customers like cattle just to be swapped between one firm and another. I, I think, you know, we, we can't expect them to treat us with value, if it treats us as a commodity, if we're treating them as a commodity, that we're just going to trade and swap them between firms. Um, so I, I think it, it's sort of, if we want to be a standard commoditized service, yes, let's just create a standard commoditized model and just swap customers back and forth when we want to trade hands. I don't think, I think a lot more value can be created um, through adopting a different way. Now, now, see, Adrian, that sounds like you're working off of your intuition that you don't think that you should treat customers as cattle. Um, mm-hmm. I want to know if there's actually been an experiment that <laughs> uh, can create, uh, you know, accumulate evidence uh-huh. that customers should not be treated as cattle. I believe that you should actually start branding your customers. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, I hear the specter of Ariel in the background, but the um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I mean, no, I mean brand like with a hot iron brand. Hot brand. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I mean, I think um, it's not just intuition. I think as we've morphed our firm um, and started our onboarding process, like coming a greater sense of who we are and sort of evaluating fit and you know, messaging to our market on such a way. I found a stronger response to that. Um, so it isn't, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's pure intuition. Uh, I haven't necessarily gone through the mergers and acquisitions process myself, but definitely seen that there is benefit to having a greater sense of purpose and having people respond to that. The customers will respond to that. Sit on. So, so Adrian, we're getting close to being done here. Can you can you give us? I think maybe we asked you this earlier in the podcast, <laughs> yeah. but um, some other ideas of experiments you're you're thinking through. <laughs> sure. Well, the the next one we have lined up, which will happen over the the winter, so maybe late this year, early next year, is um, our value accounting model, and this is a different sort of financial reporting model that we think can be helpful to the small business world. Um, part of what's behind this one is the fact that after years and years of trying to explain accounting to small business owners, I sort of have this theory that perhaps we should actually be adapting the financial reporting model to the way they already think, mm. um, as opposed to trying to say, well, depreciation isn't really a cash expense, and the reason that you show a profit but you really have no cash in the bank is because you know we have like all these layers of explanation, I think, that don't help mm. the small business owner. So the question becomes, how can we actually present the information in such a way that it's actually immediately apparent to them and there's actually many things that actually come out of that as well how can we even present information that isn't doesn't even have numbers and yet still communicates what's happening mm. in oh business? wow um it, there, and there's actually some things on the other side of that as well but we just sort of have to take it one step at a time um but my part of what my purpose there is to say you know when an informed reader of the financial statements reads them um they're actually abstracting from what they see on the page and forming conclusions and making inferences and sort of having inductions and deductions, why don't we skip the middle and go right to the end and present that information to our... I, I like that. That's nice. awesome. Yeah. So, 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 Adrian, you're saying, and this is cool, that possibly you're going to play with a value reporting model that will have no numbers on it. Um, yeah, that phase is probably two or three steps down the road, but the first is just the model itself, the way of thinking. 
um, which we've sort of developed wow. and we're looking to publish it. And then the second step and third step come after that. So, so, so people are thinking right now that are listening, Adrian is a freaking mad scientist. This guy's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, it's reporting via emoticon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's some truth to that. Five emoticons <laughs> means you have a lot of profit. Well, uh, you say that, but sometimes I talk to other accountants, and they say, "Yeah, that makes sense." So, yeah, it, I don't think but that crazy. It does. It's yeah, not, it's not that crazy. No. I mean, it's 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 the it's really the ultimate uh, you know logical conclusion of of dashboards mm-hmm. is yeah, you're good, you're bad, you're so so. Yeah, I can make I can make three emoticons. I just drew out three emoticons on my piece of paper. For yep. good, bad, and so-so. Yep. The good, the good is a little man throwing uh, handfuls of money in the air. <laughs> the, the bad is a man whose uh, whose family just left him. Yeah. <laughs> and the so-so is is actually Jason Blummer's Skype photo. Oh. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, you know, in Zero's product, you know, they have yep. three little people's faces you can click, right, Adrian? Yep. Yep, down there in the corner says, "How's your current feeling about the software? Happy, medium, or not right. happy?" Right. Yeah. And there you go. and if and I don't know if people are pushing those buttons, but certainly zero has a broad range of all of those faces across the yeah. the breadth of their company, and you know by country possibly, and they can go, you know, in Bangladesh, you know, we suck, but in the UK, they love us. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, and the things that we should be measuring that don't even have a number on them, like just emotion. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And, but no, what's what's interesting, Adrian, is you know the numbers when I'm presenting those to our clients are often a barrier. Yes, and, and I can't get them past looking at the numbers right. and understanding them to actually get to the information that will help them. Yep. And if you're saying you would take that barrier away from me, yes. Oh my gosh, we could quickly get to what does this mean for you? Yes, that's the goal. Yep. Nice. Absolutely. Okay, cool. time's up. This is yeah. Adrian. Uh, we're gonna have to have you back one day. Okay, and Love we to. we wanna we gotta have you know some we gotta go over how the experiments went and the things yeah. we learned. That would be yeah. awesome. That will be that'll be a great way to launch all that stuff. Oh yeah, cool. would okay. love for sure. All right, thanks, A, for being with us. You're welcome. Talk to you later, man. Thanks. was awesome amazing the uh, uh, yeah I, i'm wondering how many and here's what i'm hoping jason i'm hoping because i know that there's people not just accountants that listen to our podcast right right and i'm wondering if there's other professions who are going to go a lab would no one ever think of doing a lab in our profession either maybe we need to yep. maybe we need to make one happen i i you told you to. my wife she's a realtor now and they uh, need it they need it they do they do. they do, and we do too. So that that's awesome. Big thanks to to Adrian for taking the time to talk to us today about that. Um, how can people, if people have an idea for the uh, for the lab, what can they do to uh, to get that to Adrian? Yeah, the lab is for the profession. So you can go to thrival.com, t h r i v e a l dot com slash lab. Okay, and there's a way to submit ideas. Nice. And you can sign up on that page also to become an experimental firm. Uh-huh. Uh, and you can also be you know, a partner firm uh, where you right can on. support the lab too financially, which our firm does. So, right. uh, And when we support it on our P&L, it gets charged to a line item called uh, R&D. Nice. That's awesome. Cool. 
So um, <laughs> thank you again for, uh, thank you to Avalara, our sponsor. Without you time. guys, this would totally never happen. Wouldn't have not happened over the past over three years that we've been yeah. doing this. Yep. And how can people get in touch with you, G? Uh, they can get me on Twitter at Greg Kite. Kite is spelled with a Y, not with an I. How about you, Jay Blums? They can get me on Twitter at Jason M. Blummer. And we have to do a shout out to Jennifer Blummer, our producer, our faithful producer, and Aaron Dowd, our podcast engineer. Uh-huh. And we're out of Who, here. Got, who's got all the beats? Who's got all the beats in a house? That's right. And we're coming back next month with an amazing podcast that's about how the entire accounting profession is going to change. So come back next month to hear about that. Uh, We're glad that you chose to listen to us here on the Thrivecast. See you, everybody. My rapper name would be Jay Blum. What's your rapper uh, name? Knuckles. <laughs> Jay Blum and Knuckles on the mic. <laughs>